Christmas. Great time to talk about politics, right? It's like the one thing you're not supposed to talk about at Christmas. Or maybe one of two things, right? Christmas shouldn't talk about politics and religion. At least that's what people say. But why not talk about politics? I mean, it's been a a political year. 2017, I think, will be remembered. We have uh, a new president. I remember I was sitting in the roost in Northampton. This is right after the inauguration, and uh, I hear people on, like, both sides of me plotting to retake the federal government. Um, It was a political uh, year from the very beginning. Everything turned into politics. Health care, tax cuts, how much the president plays golf, whether football players should stand or kneel in the, uh, the national anthem. <clears throat> Even Jesus was politicized. Uh, we shouldn't think that our time is all that different, right? I mean, we look back at the time uh, of Jesus' birth. It was a pretty political time as well. We hear the mentions in Luke, especially of particular political Leaders. Now, partly why he's doing that is because he wants us to know this was historical. This wasn't just a mystical vision that he had. It's not some kind of a myth that communicates some deeper truth. It was, this was actually historical events that occurred while real live leaders were in power. But I think he also has some other reasons uh, for putting those politicians in the storyline a little bit of a history lesson. Hope, hopefully it'll be interesting. Luke 1, 5, he mentions a guy named Herod, king of Judea, also known as Herod the Great. He probably chose that name for himself. On one hand, he was a coward. Uh, he was a puppet of uh, the Roman government, and so whatever Rome wanted, that's pretty much what he decided because he wanted to keep his power. On the other hand, he ruled with an iron Fist. He was motivated by his desire to keep that power that he'd been given. In fact, so much so that he would use secret police to monitor how the general populace felt about his leadership. Uh, he sought to prohibit protest. He had uh, opponents removed by force. He had a bodyguard of 2,000 people that kept him safe. Let's just say he was a little paranoid, right? And he would literally assassinate those he considered a threat to his throne. I mean, what's a king to do without Twitter? His lowest moment, though, as in terms of how history would remember him, was when he found out that the Magi who were looking for a Christ, they were looking for a Messiah, uh, did not report back to him and let him know where that child was was, and so his order was that every baby boy under two years of age in the Bethlehem greater metropolitan area would be killed. Politician number one. Politician number two, Luke 2, verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's politician number three. Caesar Augustus. Uh, He had a a pretty good pedigree. He was a nephew of Julius Caesar, and he was named adopted son of Julius Caesar when Caesar died because Caesar didn't have any sons, and he became the heir of Julius Caesar's will. 
He became one of three military rulers in Rome and was given a particular area to rule over, eventually became emperor. He's credited with establishing branches of uh, government in Rome that are similar to our own branches of government, a senate, a legislative body, a court system. But he was the supreme commander of the military, so make no doubt about it, he was in charge. Uh, Historian Werner Eck states this, the sum of his power derived first from various powers of office delegated to him by the Senate and people, secondly, from his immense private fortune, and thirdly, from numerous patron-client relationships he established with individuals and groups throughout the empire. He was the one who ushered in what was known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, brought about tax reform, better roads, military strength, and lots and lots of money and power for himself. Politician number three, Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Now, he came from a very unimpressive pedigree, but he was ambitious. He worked his way up the military rank, and he got a governorship. He did his best to stay close to the governor. Partly how he got this governorship is that he became tutor of one of the emperor's grandson. And when that grandson died, then he moved over and started tutoring another grandson. And he made sure that he had access to power. He had some marital problems. Rumor was that one of his wives tried to poison him. Um, Yeah, tabloids, even back in the first century. He did eventually, again, was given this governorship, and he was given the job to assess the region of Judea for tax purposes. Not a popular plan. Uh, In fact, there was a great, great risk of open revolt, but Jewish high priest in power at the time wanted to retain power and made sure that he kept the revolt tapped down. Seems that religion and politics were mixed even in the first century. Now, it wasn't only the politicians who were talking about politics. Politics seemed to be cropping up throughout the Christmas story. We hear it in a couple of songs that are sung. One is by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here's just a little little segment from that. Luke 1, 52, she says this, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. As she sings this, she, she sings as God is doing this now. Not what He will do in four or five hundred years, but what He is doing now. He is bringing down the mighty. Then there's a song by Zechariah. If you were here this morning, you heard Tommy Moore preach on Zechariah. He also has a song that he sings after his uh, baby John, who becomes John the Baptist, uh, is named a couple of verses from that song, Luke 171, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And a few verses later, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. There's a lot of excitement in these songs that that somehow the tide's going to turn, that somehow politics are going to change, that God himself is getting involved, and he's going to turn things upside down. And God does indeed get involved. He 
has a press conference. Now, it's not your usual press conference, not the usual White House press corps. Uh, it's a bunch of stinky shepherds that had to work overnight on Christmas Eve. Oh, no, wait, people aren't getting off yet for Christmas Eve. Anyway, there's stinky shepherds out there, and God decides to have a press conference and announce the coming of some, well, I'll let you hear this from Luke 2, right? You, read, you, you heard this read just moments ago. Luke 2, 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. A heavenly press release. This is big. 400 years of radio silence from God, and then he breaks through. They've been waiting, they've been reading, they've been reading the prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah, and, they, and, they, and eventually uh, they wait some more. And, and then after 10 generations of waiting, God breaks the silence. And this angel appears, and this is the press release. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's how he breaks the silence. And in the darkness of that night reveals, well, several things. There's a king who's coming. Not just any king, but the Messiah king. That's what Christ means. This is the Greek word that the Jews used to talk about the coming Messiah. It meant anointed one. But not only that he is a, a king and he is the Messiah, but that he is divine. He's Lord Right? He is Christ the Lord. That is a name only given to God. And so he's not only a Messiah King, but he is a divine Messiah King. And what is his agenda? What is the goal of his administration? Saving us. Saving us. That this divine Messiah King has come to save us. He is a Savior. Now, every politician portrays themselves as some kind of a Savior. Would you agree? I'm going to save you from high taxes. I'm going to save you from the bad guys. I'm going to save you uh, from injustice. So, something is what they're, they're, they're portraying themselves as being. But this, this one seems to have a little more power than the average politician. This one is Christ the Lord. He is God and He is King. Now, this is, this is amazing news. This is an amazing press release. This is the press release of all press releases. Christ the Lord is here. Now, where do we find him? Where do we find him? Do we find him in the White House? Do we find him in the penthouse? Do we find him in the Capitol Rotunda? Do we find him in the military headquarters? Do we find him in the halls of academia? Do we find him in a place where really rich people are, or really powerful people, or really smart people, at least? Maybe strategic people? Well, this is where they say that they can find him. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Not what we're expecting in the press release. Christ the Lord is a baby. He's a baby 
and he's wrapped in cloth. Okay, that seems normal. Babies need to be wrapped up. But he's in a trough. He's in a feed trough. This does not compute. How could Christ the Lord be a baby in a feed trough? Being revealed to a bunch of stinky shepherds who are absolute nobodies. What is God doing here? What kind of politics is this? It's politics that are completely, completely upside down. Now, what are politics anyway, right? These, these are the activities associated with the governance of a country, let's say. Especially the debate and conflict among individuals and groups that are vying for power over that particular country. Seems unlikely that a baby in a feed trough is going to make a power play. Take, take some, make some sort of a political shift such that he becomes king. I mean, Herod the Great that night, Caesar, Augustus, Quirinius, they're all got sugar plums dancing in their heads that Christmas night, right? I, I, they, they're doing great. They're doing fine. They're warm, snug, well-fed. And this Christ the Lord is in a manger. I, I think God knew that maybe at this juncture in the press release that things were hard to believe, even for those shepherds. So he brings them back up for the next part of the press release. This is really my favorite here, verse 13 of Luke 2. It says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A multitude of the heavenly host. Multitude means they couldn't count. You know, like, is it, is it 100? Is it 500? Is it 5,000? I, I don't know. Let's call it a multitude. And if one of those has to say, don't fear, don't, please don't fear, it's okay, I'm not going to kill you, right? What, what does a multitude have to say? Right? A multitude of, of the heavenly armies, that's what the host mean. It means heavenly armies. And, and these heavenly armies, they're always there. They're always there. They're always in the unseen, though. I love to think about this, actually. As, as a pastor in gospel ministry who is in a place that's, that's spiritually hostile in some ways to the gospel, I know there's a spiritual battle going on. I can't sit with my eyes. But I also know that there's a multitude of the heavenly hosts that are in the unseen, and they're working hard. And what they're doing, two things, is what on the angel job description. One is just to glorify God, to praise God, make much of God. That's what they're doing. And serving Christians. We, we know that from Hebrews 1.14. says, uh, are they not all ministering spirits? It's talking about the angels. Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That's us. The, the angels are there to, to make much of God, praise God, glorify God, and to serve human beings. And in this moment... They do both at the same time. They make much of God. They glorify God. Right? What, what does that mean to glorify God? To, to, to call attention to God. 
Our attention is so scattered. We all kind of have this spiritual ADD. And in that moment, the angels are like, hey, shepherds, attention on God, right? Why? Because God is at the center of everything. Because God has more weight and worth than anything in the universe. And, and they make much of him, drawing the attention of the shepherds so that he would be honored and praised, worshiped, obeyed, served, glorified. And they say of him, he's in the highest. Now, I don't think that's, he's at altitude 100,000 feet, right? He's talking about a hierarchy. And he's saying, in the political hierarchy, God is at the highest, right? This Christ the Lord, this divine king, he is the highest. He is above all. He's above Quirinius. He's above Herod the Great. He's above Caesar Augustus. He's above President Trump and President Putin. He is the highest. And on his agenda is peace. Peace. This is what he wants. He wants peace. Now, I think now in our current culture, a lot of talk about Christmas and peace is more like absence of conflict, right? Like, let, let's, let's just all get along, right? Let's just be able to, to have a nice world without any... This is not the peace that they're talking about, right? They're, they're talking about reconciliation, between God and human beings, that there's a breach there because of sin, and that there's the, the only opportunity for human beings to be reconciled with, with God is if He comes down and He rescues them. This is what is on the agenda for Christ the Lord, the Messianic King. He chooses to come near I think this is part of why he comes as a, as a baby. There's, there's several reasons, but one is, is because we, we can lean in. I, I think that's what, what we love about Christmas. It, it's, it's God seems approachable, and he is. And so there's Christ, the king, who is the commander of the heavenly hosts, yet he's a babe. And we can, we can press in, we can come close and, and that's what God wants. But he doesn't want us to keep Jesus as a baby. He wants us to understand that baby is going to buy our salvation from sin. He's going to grow up. He, he's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die the death we could have never died, right? He, he, he's going to pay for the sins that we've committed so that we could be reconciled with God the Father through what God the Son does for us on the cross. And you see this in, in Luke, because if you keep reading the Gospel of Luke, like every, each of the four Gospels, you, you're going to get to the end, and the end is always going to be the cross and the resurrection. There's an interesting part of Luke 19 where you see the power base start to shift. Luke 19, 37, and uh, this is a conversation that Jesus has with some of the, 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 the power brokers of the day. 
And it says, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, there's that word again, of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That sound familiar? And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. This Savior King is worthy to be praised by angels, worthy to be praised by the very rocks of the creation that He Himself created, and worthy to be praised by us tonight. And we're able to come close, not just because He's a baby, but because He's a Savior. He's a Savior who's, who's, who's bought our salvation with His own blood and died in our place such that our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled with God through Christ. And we can, can come near. We, we sing about this in all these Christmas carols. I think sometimes we miss that. But we, in, the, in the song we just sang, Hark the Herald's Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, peace on earth, earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, that's us, reconciled. Right? This is why the baby is such good news, and there's so much cause for rejoicing. It's because God and sinners through Christ are reconciled. Or, or later on in the song, he says, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them Second birth, it's again talking about Christian conversion through our faith in Jesus Christ. So I wonder this morning, I'm so used to saying this morning, uh, this evening, are you joining with the angels in praising this Savior King? Or are you joining with creation itself in praising the Savior King? Or if you, have you ever, never done that before? Well, tonight would be an incredible opportunity to receive the best Christmas gift you could ever imagine. It's to not just let heaven and earth receive her king, but for you to receive King Jesus. And you can, again, do that because he is a savior king and has saved you from sin. And the opportunity... Is here right in front of you, just, just like those shepherds. And those shepherds heard that opportunity, and you know what they did? They ran to find him. And so this, tonight is an opportunity to receive Christ by faith, to, to, to be given forgiveness, to be given new life in him, and then to follow him as your king all the days of your life, both in this life and in the life of to come. He's not up for a vote. I guess it's one of the powerful things about the declaration of these angels. Right? He is Christ the Lord. And so as we sing here in a minute, joy to the world, 
right? And we receive our king. We're, we're declaring who he is. And it's an opportunity to worship him tonight. He is ruling and he will rule. So as we do this ritual that we, we do each, uh, each Christmas Eve, I, I love the symbolism of Advent as things are in darkness and we see light increase throughout the four Sundays of Advent. And then on Christmas, we see light increase. I think it's appropriate that uh, Gabriel's going to help me. As each heart, you guys can stand up. Why don't you stand up? As each heart receives Christ as King, and we see that light grow in our own lives and in the lives of others, even in 2017. Mitchell's going to lead us. I'm going to pray. And uh, yeah, let's worship the King. Lord, thank you for this night together, for the reminder that you are the highest. And we confess to you, we often are, are trying to mark out our own little kingdoms and areas of our life that we are absolutely wanting to hold on for dear life. But Lord, tonight... We receive you as king, some for the first time and some in a fresh way. We receive you as king and we're grateful, God, that you are king and grateful for the grace and the peace that you offer as a free gift to us tonight. And we pray these things in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen.